Hello, this is Daryl. We have a great episode for you today, recorded in Baltimore at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. It's our sit down with the Athletics' Meg Linehan. It's actually hard to get Meg to sit down because she is always on the move, always working on a story, always busy. And it's that kind of commitment that saw Meg recognised at the convention in the annual media contest, where Meg won best deadline slash game story for an athletic piece titled... The US women's national team beat Thailand 13-0 because you don't win World Cups by playing nice. Great title. Sincere congratulations to Meg for that recognition. When we sat down, Meg had just published another piece titled The Inside Story of Sky Blue's 2020 NWSL Draft, where Meg had been embedded with Sky Blue FC, who were the laughing stock of the 2019 draft, but were back with new management looking to put things right. Sky Blue gave Meg full access, and the story really is more than a peek behind the curtain. It's a full-on look around and stare at everything that's back there behind the curtain. We talk to Meg about that incredible story, and then we talk US women's national team, because Vlatko Andonovsky has just named the 20 players for Olympic qualifying, and we wanted to get Meg's expert insight and reaction. It's a great interview, I promise. And if all that makes you want to sign up for an athletic subscription, you can get 40% off and then we get the credit if you sign up via theathletic.com slash total soccer. That's theathletic.com slash total soccer. Link will be in the show notes. But before you hear the drum clicks and then the interview, today's Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Robin Hood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount. So you can get stocks in companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as a dollar. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So join the more than 10 million Robinhood users. You can get started with a free stock by going to totalsoccer.robinhood.com. Come. That's totalsoccer.robinhood.com. Here's the legal part. All investments involve risk. You knew that, right? This is not investment advice. You wouldn't take it from me. It's not a recommendation and it's not a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. And I know you didn't think it was, but Robinhood Financial is not a bank. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove. He's here again. He's here again. Taylor Rockwell. Talking before he's introduced. Hello. We're still in Baltimore. We are. At the United Soccer Coaches Convention. We are joined by our athletic colleague, Meg Linehan. That's true. That is now a fact. We are now colleagues and you can't escape me anymore. You cannot escape. Well, I think (laughs) it's more like you're trying to escape. The other way around. Yes. (laughs) But thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. I know you've been very, very, very busy. Yes. um, Here in Baltimore, especially because NWSL draft. Right, Right, right. You wrote a 5,000-word-ish story? 5,000, yes. 5,000-ish-word story um, about the 2020 draft. You were embedded with Sky Blue FC. I've never seen a piece written like that before. So I'm not sure any team has given a writer access like that before. Yeah, I think that there was really one story that tried something like that. And uh, writer Howard Magdal had actually embedded in 2017 with the Boston Breakers okay. when they had the number one draft pick who, as we all know, Rose Lavelle, heading to the Boston Breakers. But I don't 
he certainly had like he sat in on those meetings. Um, I think that he was focused a little more on the actual draft pick selection. Like it's a great story, absolutely, but. Obviously, Sky Blue has a lot of moving pieces right at the moment. They're doing a lot of work with the roster. Um, general manager Elise LaHue has been in for you know nine months now, roughly. Uh, co-owner Tammy Murphy has been in nine months, roughly. They have a new head coach. They're really there's a lot of balls in the air for that team. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. So I think that they were willing to to consider. I mean, it really just started with me texting Elise and saying, "Hey, would you think about me?" basically shadowing you through this draft a to understand what you're trying to to do but b to think about the overall project that is sky blue and when you look at what happened at their draft in 2019 we looked at what happened we were stood right yeah. there yeah. we were there as the players they drafted didn't look thrilled to right. be drafted by sky blue Haley mace am i right was it the look, mace, the look on mean, her face when she got drafted right. was not, not well, a, she, i'm thrilled to go to jersey exactly yeah. and she had communicated to sky blue ahead of that draft if you draft me i I do not intend to play in New Jersey, and they continued ahead with their plans. And then the the general manager, president at the time, basically said, "We feel confident that we can kind of bring, you know, we'll bring them around. They know the work that we're doing; it's going to be totally fine." Meanwhile, at the same time, could not point to a single thing that was actually happening at the club level to improve facilities, to maybe look outside of uh, Yersac Field as a as a potential venue. So. There was a lot of things that I think happened in 2019 that everyone in the team had sort of deeply regretted. And to then have that sort of full year journey into the 2020 draft where I feel like the day that they had, you could not get two more different draft day experiences for Sky Blue between 2019 where, and it's not to say like Paige Monahan has been kind of like a, a revelation for them, their number 10 pick out of Butler in 2019. She's been called up into U.S. National Team Identification Camp. It's not that they didn't find good players that day, but the optics... The headlines of, were bad, eh? The yeah. headlines were extremely bad. And it just it just kind of continued until they, they made their sort of regime change in April, like right before the season started. So to get that year's worth of work and to get that access, and, you know, it takes trust on both sides. They have to trust that I can sit in that room mm-hmm. and not burn them. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they have to trust me that I'm going to, you know, do this responsibly and really just, I mean, this kind of access is so rare. I think just not even in women's soccer, but across soccer in general of, of actually being transparent like that. Does it speak to a confidence in their own setup and abilities that they were like, we're not a clown show, <laughs> even if Meg was like going to like report it in a biased way against mm-hmm. us, not that I'm saying you right. ever would. We're not gonna, there's, there's not going to be clown show material. Right. I, I think that there is absolutely a confidence in what they're doing, and I think the relationship between Tammy Murphy, Elise LaHue, Freya Coombe, their new head coach, Marsha McDermott, who's their technical advisor. I mean, when you think about the the content, like every single major player in that story, and I tweet about this, is a woman. And I think that there is a relationship there in a way that, I mean, it's not to say that the other teams are dysfunctional by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that there is kind of this this confidence and this comfort level that they have in terms of we know that we're on the right track. Like, last year was a stabilization year. This year, we want to set a standard that this team has never set before and that we want to communicate that goal because we are confident in that goal. So I want to talk a little bit about your experience being in that room. 
how did you approach it? Like, were you just like up against the wall? Like, like I don't want them to even notice I'm here. Were you, were you cracking jokes? Were you giving <laughs> your opinion? The exactly. <laughs> I was not trying <laughs> the, to give the James Comey approach of blending into the drapes. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was not trying to offer opinions. Um, I will say when the the incorrect like, no, draft no, list <laughs> when the incorrect draft list came out, mm-hmm. like I had been looking for it as well because mm-hmm. obviously, like it is important to my job even without what's happening in the room. So. When that happened, a I was confused, but they were looking at me like, "Are you seeing the exact same thing that we're seeing?" Yeah. And but for the most part, I just really like I had my laptop closed for most of the night. I just was taking notes and trying to. For me, being in that room, like obviously there are specifics in the piece and there are details in the piece, but for me, it was really just to try to get a sense of the vibe of just the sheer level of deliberation that mm-hmm. goes on. And I thought the way that they look at the draft in terms of risk assessment was extremely fascinating the way that okay if we have the number two and three picks but they get flipped to Mm -hmm. chicago and then what does chicago do with them does that put us in a situation where if if pick number three ends up with this team that it risks the player that we're actually targeting like every Mm -hmm. single move has to be considered like five moves down the line and saying okay can you game out how this is going to work is that an acceptable level of risk to us to make that trade Mm -hmm because we might get rewarded in this specific way. Can I, can I raise a suggestion? Even though it looks like everything, like Sky Blue did everything mm-hmm. right in this draft, because for people who don't know, they ended up essentially trading some draft picks for uh, Mallory Pugh. Pugh and then drafting players mm-hmm. that they wanted, right? Mm-hmm. They got a defender that they wanted. They, they got forward uh, Evelyn Vien from, yes. um, in the first round, and then they got the goalkeeper that they were originally targeting with their number 20 pick. They got uh, real... Um, from uh, Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. I'm already defender. Like, defender. Uh, Penn, That's Penn a defender. State, yeah. yeah Kaylee Real. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so they, they got what they wanted, but is there a possibility that they also just got lucky? <laughs> because from what I understood, they <laughs> traded picks two and three. Yes. For I can't remember how this went, but they traded they picks two, two and, and three, three for four and five. Right. And then they traded pick four to the Washington Spirit for Mallory Pugh. So yes. they only ended up with five, starting that, from originally two and three. But that must have been unexpected, right? They never could have sat in the room and said, we're going to trade picks two and three for four and five, and then we'll use four and five for Mallory Pugh. You never right. would have thought the lower picks would be used to trade for this big piece. Yeah, and right? I, I mean, even the night before, the, the Washington Spirit weren't really ever a part of that conversation because that had been something that had been broached with them, right? I and couldn't tell it, if you just left it out of the story for like a late dramatic <laughs> effect or no, if that really just, what, there was, was no call. You know, like the team name obviously came up in terms of what they were potentially going to have on the day, but it was never that was that was a trade that I think really resurfaced in the morning. So like when I'm actually in the draft room, right, and you see the little sky blue table in the corner, and first Arnim Whistler, who's the owner of the Chicago Red Stars, walks up and pulls Elise away, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden all of them are assembling in the little corner with the league staff, and it's Whistler and LaHue, and then Orlando walks up, and then all of a sudden at the same time, so that's the two, three, four, five trade. Yeah. At the same time, Richie Burke and Tom uh I'm blanking on his last name, but their assistant coach are coming up to talk to Sky Blue's head coach. So this is, I mean, these are happening simultaneously. Yeah, Yeah. simultaneously, and it was not something that they thought was going to be on the table, and it was already after two and three had been flipped, but the Spirit were still okay taking Mm -hmm. the fourth pick. So it's really just, some of it is luck in terms of things. I think that's what LaHue was really saying in, in the quotes that she gave me well after when she'd actually gotten a chance to process it is, 
some of it is just being nimble and figuring out, okay, I've already made this move, but now this thing has presented itself. How do I still make that work? Yeah. So it's maybe luck is when opportunity meets preparation. There you go. <laughs> so when that move is announced, it's announced as a, like a player to be named later. Yes. Uh, I am less familiar covering drafts, but the speculation at the time was they maybe haven't told that player yet, which is why they haven't yet announced it. Do you think that that was the case, or have you heard that was the case? And if so, how do you think Mallory Pugh reacted to that news? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to how how Pugh reacted. I do think that there were still com- communication issues, and I also think that there are just the logistics mm-hmm. of trades are when they're not done within the draft Mm -hmm. it can take days so to put it in that condensed time frame tends to be more Mm -hmm. difficult i remember so having been on the other side of other drafts working within the league media the draft where carly lloyd Kristen press and sam kerr Mm -hmm. all changed teams along with some other people right i got a phone call at 2 30 in the morning saying heads up this is in the works (laughs) Did you answer your phone at two thirty in the morning? I was still awake. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's I the joy you were of that yeah. was the joy of that's the joy of draft week for literally everyone is yeah. you're you're awake so late into the morning that morning before the draft and it starts again so early yeah. in the morning. But that was on the table. It had been communicated to the so league. So you end with your GM drinking decaf coffee just to see <laughs> no. if there's anything in it. <laughs> and so there are a lot of moving pieces and just the league has to sign off. You obviously have the digital social end of it. You have the player notification end of it. There are, I mean, negotiations can go up to that very last second. So to put that in the condensed timeline of the draft, I think tens. We've definitely had players to be named later before, and I think that is just kind of an unfortunate consequence of maybe you know that I think Rachel Hill's name was announced, and I think that that had already kind of been in the works in terms of they knew that she was going to go someplace, if not necessarily sure which team. So they probably had a, a conversation ahead of time. We are going to talk Olympic qualifying roster. Yes. So Mallory Pugh will probably come back up in a little bit. Or not. Um, or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a solid burn, Daryl. Um, but first I wanted to ask, Meg, like, when you look at the, the, the first round of the second round, like, did it go about as, as you expected? Or were there some surprises in there? Did you think there were players that fell down the order that you thought could have gone higher or vice versa? I mean, I think that... Sky Blue's pick at number 11, uh, Real, was expected to be a, a first-round yeah. pick, right? I think that was a surprise for them at number 11, so they opted to go with best player on the board in that spot rather than necessarily a player that they had been mm-hmm. discussing the night before. But, yeah, I mean, I think that I'm not exactly surprised that Portland made a play for the top two picks. You know, obviously they'd already made the play for, for number one overall, knew exactly who they were targeting, had it all lined up ahead of time, but... I do think that there was probably some unexpected movement, but I think the general consensus across the league is 2020 draft, there's one player in this draft who's going number one that is, you know, kind of at a certain level, and then everyone else is. It's not that they're they're bad players by any stretch of the imagination, but there is... You want to evaluate all of these players within what you're building already rather than saying this person is going to be a franchise changer or anything mm-hmm. like that you're you're trying to figure out what works best for your team whereas i think 2021 is again an extremely strong draft that it's one of those classes where everybody's like how do i stockpile picks in 2021 but there's also the complications of expansion draft and now allocation money which i'm sure you enjoyed allocation money having really not encountered uh, yeah it was it was a new one uh to, to see all the movement happening and being like oh right money money helps right and, and, and i think you, uh, you made that very clear 
uh, near, near the beginning of your your article about how sort of like they were able to swap down but get some money, mm-hmm. and that's a very like a good sweetener if you're right. trying to collect draft picks, but also have a bit more finance behind it. Am I right in saying it's the first time that there's allocation money? Yes, that's and a the new first rule. Time you can trade it? Yes, okay. that is a new rule. Is and this the? Um, it's part get, of without the, getting too deep into it, yeah. is this the allocation money that Megan Rapinoe was not a fan of? Because it can't well, go to national team players. It can't go to national team players. Yeah. So yeah. that was a rule that I think was put in around November. I want to say in terms of, I mean, you know, the salary cap being raised, allocation money being a thing. Like there have been kind of big swinging for the fence rule changes yeah. at NWSL. That is a part of it. But I, I do think that they have not necessarily thought out 100% of the implications of allocation money because then there was also uh, a conference in the middle of the draft with Amanda Duffy, who's still serving as president, and Chicago Red Stars owner Arnim Whistler. And pretty much every question was really some form of, how does allocation money work? <laughs> because we have seen no rules, and suddenly... It sounds like you don't necessarily have to use it on player salary. You can use it for other things. Ah. It can be traded. It can be banked, right? Like they can save it for 2021 because also that's an extremely good sweetener Mm -hmm. if you're trying to avoid expansion draft and you just want to hand new teams money and and bribe them into protecting your roster. So there was a lot happening all at the same time. But I, I do think that in general... 2020 draft maybe not like a huge surprise but I think it had unintended ways that it it worked differently that mm. a lot of people weren't expecting was it more dramatic than most drafts or was it just that Taylor and I paid more attention this year than usual <laughs> I think that it was definitely well, your answer could be yes by the way <laughs> I think it I think it was definitely I don't know if I want to use the word spicy but I, I do think that it's hard to top that Carly Lloyd Kristen Press Sam Kerr tra- mm. just because I mean those are three giant names swapping teams in a way that Mallory Pugh is a big trade don't get me wrong but it is it is not quite at that level of three teams getting involved in a trade at that level so it was definitely one of I think the busier ones yeah and it's always it's always very entertaining when all of it is happening up at the top so it's just pure nonsense to start with and then it calms down but it gets everybody kind of riled up of like because I remember people didn't have the second part of that draft pick swap order where okay they knew sky blue and chicago had traded two three and four five but they didn't know that chicago had then subsequently flipped yeah so i tweet like okay the top of the order is now going to be portland portland orlando (laughs) sky blue sky blue and people are like when did that happen i enjoyed that drama (laughs) I, i really think maybe this is just because i don't follow enough accounts but i feel like at one point there was NWSL had tweeted like the original draft order, right. then Kim McCauley tweeted the updated one with Chicago, and then I think you were the tweet above <laughs> it with the updated one. I was like, I don't even know. I think I tapped you on the shoulder, like, which one is right? <laughs> like, I'm so confused. Um, I have one more draft question for you. Um, so we talked a little bit about how Sky Blue, how it came to be. Mm-hmm. How did other teams react, or has there been any reaction? Because I imagine that, like, I just keep imagining this scenario of them being on a conference call, speakerphone, the GM yeah. of the other team is like ranting into it, yeah. and then they're just like, oh, there's a reporter here, by the way, and then yeah. Suddenly that behavior so, adjusts. So the thing is that there, I never heard a single conversation mm-hmm. between Elise and another team. Okay. I never saw a single text message. All I ever heard was the sky blue side of things and them okay. evaluating. Mm-hmm. So she always left the room if there was a conversation that was happening. Mm-hmm. I think because mostly. Of you or because I, it was well, like a I one think, on one conversation. I think it, a, it was a one on one conversation that was happening, but B, I mean. I will like it's in the story. Rory Dames literally walked into the room just trying to find Seltzer. Looked yeah, at me and yeah. he's like, 
what are you doing here? <laughs> just like waving like, hi, Rory, what's up? Um, so it's not that, you know, it wasn't exactly a secret, but I, I think that Elise was very good in leaving and then updating people as she had movement. Um, and I think that that's also the right, you know, like I, I can only speak to what I was trying to get out of it, but I was never also trying to like overhear conference calls or anything of that kind. It was always... I want to know how Sky Blue is approaching this. That's the story I'm trying to tell, and obviously it does impact other teams. But um, for me, the, the heart of the story is Sky Blue and their decision-making. So also the other thing that I was always very clear with the team about is every single name, every single um, detail has to basically happen in order for it to make the story. So the draft has to be done. Mm-hmm. The trades have to be announced. Like, I'm under a very firm embargo. A, because, like, if players haven't been notified, I don't want to breach that trust, right? right? Like, I tried to be almost overly cautious in terms of how I approached it. And A, I think it gave them a chance to kind of lock me down and make sure that I wasn't trying to to blow up what they were doing. But I think that there is a way to responsibly report that in terms of making sure that you're not actively trying to burn anyone and just giving an impression of this is what Sky Blue's approach to both picking and trading is. And they were they were willing to share that. I appreciate that they're willing to share that. I appreciate you spent that much time putting in all that effort to be able to write this amazing piece. And in my mind, it should then be like, and now you get the week off. And yet instead, <laughs> the next morning, uh, I think you were right and ready for like, uh, Jill, like a Jill Ellis uh, talk here in Baltimore. Yeah. And then you were waiting for the Olympic roster to come out. Right. And it feels like you're just kind of right back into the grind. Is that right. about how it goes yeah, for you? I think hopefully next week calms down a little bit. I don't think it is. And then I'm off to Houston and L.A. for Olympic qualifiers. And then... Pretty much immediately after that, it's She Believes Cup, and then NWSL preseason, and then the start of the NWSL season, and and, and, I, and in the maybe meantime, one day sleep, maybe. Yeah, you know, I'm really hopeful about Sunday. Uh, just <laughs> getting home and not setting an alarm—that's really, I think, my one goal of the weekend. And yeah, I think there's there's really this has not been a quiet off season. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is Daryl jumping in to remind you that it's 2020. I know I need reminding. I keep saying that it's 2019, but it's 2020, which sounds like the future. And we all know the future is hard to predict, which is why you might need life insurance. And that's where Policy Genius can help. Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. The way it works, Policy Genius is a kind of aggregator where you can get all the quotes in one place, take a look at them yourself, and then once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape. They're not pushy, they're not going to be all salesy, but they are going to help you navigate your way through buying life insurance. So if your science fiction dreams for 2020 still haven't become science fact, don't get discouraged. Get life insurance. It takes just a few minutes to find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. Policy Genius will always get the future wrong. Better get life insurance right. If Jill Ellis contacted you today and was like, I can give you a one-on-one sit-down interview, but it's 11 p.m. here in Baltimore Sunday night, are you sticking around in Baltimore? Or are you going to be like, I really appreciate that offer, Jill. How about you come to New York? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I do I do have uh, some 
some open conversations with her about mm-hmm. going blazer shopping in New York for oh, right a story. On. Okay. So I would probably want to try to push that one along anyway after she did like a whole online panel thing and her blazer was fantastic mm-hmm. and I had a long series of tweets about her blazer was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I think she found that very personally amusing when I then talked <laughs> to her about it later. So I, I like that's my dream story is like we go to Soho mm-hmm. and we just kind of bop around and I like yeah. I like that idea. And you expense a blazer, right? Today, <laughs> I know. It's just like, what is my budget? What is my blazer budget? Like, it will. I mean, it will pay off in the long run when I have to travel for for other events. So I really like that idea. I would really like to invite ourselves along, but as a soccer podcast, uh, I don't think we can do blazer shopping in Soho. I feel like that crosses into another podcast territory. Yeah, that, that area is. Taken. Yeah, I think that's right. taken. It's Let, taken. Let's talk about uh, Gillelis's successor. Um, so Vlatko has named his roster mm-hmm. um, for Olympic qualifying. Yes. I feel like in hindsight, uh, they were always going to be big name cuts yes. just because it's a smaller roster. It's right. 20, right? Mm-hmm. 20 yes. players yes. for Olympic. For, qual- for qualifying. For qualifying. 18 for the actual yes. Olympics, right? Um, are you surprised at the names left off? On top of my head, it's Mallory Pugh, Tina Davidson, Ali Morgan Bryan, Ali Lung. Yeah. Um, those are like the four big names, I would say, right. left right. off. And was that a surprise to you or was it expected? Um... I think Mallory Pugh is kind of an interesting one, but I also think that, you know, he he even said on the the media call that he had yesterday, she is still very much in the mix. There are other people currently ahead of her um, in terms of the depth chart at forward. I think he really, I think Lynn Williams was kind of the big surprise on the the forward pool that she she got herself back into that mix so quickly. Um, I don't know, I don't want to say anything is necessarily surprising. I think if I was surprised by one thing, it's that Casey Short, didn't make it in as a defender because I think that she she was a very close cut at the World Cup. But again, like the the roster limitations are going to make decisions like this a lot harder. Yeah. And I also don't think that we can read a hundred percent into this roster yet. Okay. Either right, like obviously, a they have to go through qualifying, and those performances are going to count. Like this is the first actual meaningful thing he has coached beyond a couple of friendlies, and then three camps at this point so i think he's got to see some some meaningful game time and yeah you know i don't i don't think anyone is going to be ruled out right and i, I mean you look at what happened with ali krieger for the world cup mm-hmm. and how she kind of resurfaced like i i do think that especially with Vlaco, there is an open mind until deadline day i mean obviously he's going to communicate it to players beforehand but i do think that he has been pretty upfront in terms of his communication with players and what they're going to need to do. Does no Casey Short mean Crystal Dunn at left back again? Yeah, so that's really... I still do not entirely know what he plans to do with Crystal Dunn. I asked him pretty much early on, and we have not seen a lot of game time for her under Vatko in the, in yeah. the new... I still am... Because she was getting a break, right? Um, yeah, yeah. End, I yeah. mean, so I'm, I'm still very curious. I just, like, I have not... I didn't travel to Tampa for the camp, so... That is going to be one of the things that I am keeping an eye on when I go to Houston for Olympic qualifiers is the use of, of Crystal Dunn because I do think, obviously, she has played in the left back for for the national team. She has a completely different role for the North Carolina Courage. She is a versatile player. You could do almost anything with her, roughly, but I think that's kind of the one that I'm still waiting to see. But, yeah, Casey Short obviously was an option mm-hmm. in, in that and 
So I don't, I don't know yet what the implications are. I think that's, that's going to be our learning lesson over the next month or so. So Alex Morgan, obviously not there. I saw the video of her scoring goals, <laughs> six months pregnant. Right. Looked look like she could still do the job if need be, but yeah. I doubt she will be doing that anytime soon, <laughs> yeah. which means uh, Jess McDonald in there, Lynn Williams, as mm-hmm. you said, sort of a surprise. Mm-hmm. Who do you think takes that spot, maybe earns that starting spot, or who would you expect to be there uh, maybe in some of those friendlies? Or qualifiers, excuse Qualifier, me, not friendlies. Yeah, I mean, I... I think so. Here's here's the big thing to watch is what kind of form Carly Lloyd is in, mm-hmm. and the way that that Flacco talked about Carly Lloyd on the call, I thought was really positive. I think that the at least what we saw out of those two friendlies in November, the the role that she's being asked to play in the forward line at this point mm-hmm. is going to benefit her a lot, and if she keeps scoring. I can see her being leaned on a lot, but also, you know, he's looking at Lynn Williams now as a, as a nine. So I think that there are, there are going to be situations, but he's also, I think he's a little less dialed into like one specific formation. I think there is going to be more flexibility game to game. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that there's necessarily always going to be like, oh, Carly Lloyd is going to start every game mm-hmm. in this particular scenario. I think that there is going to be like Lynn Williams is going to match up better against this opponent. I just I don't know if we're going to see the same sort of I think going into the World Cup we almost always knew mm-hmm. what her preferred forward line was what her preferred midfielder line was even as that did kind of get turned upside down with Sam Mewis kind of getting shifted back in in a much more meaningful way than anyone anticipated but that was the big question going in the World Cup right is mm-hmm. how do you choose between those four midfielders yeah. Right? Like, yeah, we, we, that's what, we had that question about, like, would you put Crystal Dunn at left back or would you move her further forward where right. she plays in North Carolina? And kind of the realistic answer is, like, you look at everybody else who's there and it's like, nah, it kind of makes sense to put her there right. at left back, yeah. Right, and you, you still have her as one of your best players on the team, but yep. it puts her on the field where how does mm-hmm. she crack into that midfield that already has Julie Arts, Sam Mewis, mm-hmm. Roosevelt? Like, yeah. I, their midfield is just you know what those options are and what that chemistry is and then to, to shift done back it, mm-hmm. it is it's not impossible yeah but it, makes sense. does it does it make sense in the long run to adjust that midfield at this point in time I don't I don't know so speaking of that midfield the, yeah. the one newish name on the roster mm-hmm. is Andy Sullivan yes right this is a player that um, I mean I don't watch Andy Russell even mm-hmm. 10% as much as you do. But anytime I've seen Andy Sullivan, I've been like, oh, there's there's a player. Right, right. right. Um, I mean, as evidenced by, sorry, just to interrupt, that like, I think there was maybe a tiny bit of talk that she would be the one moved instead of Mallory Pugh, and they were just like, no, nope, we're not doing that. She is not, not. moving. Like, right. they are, that's a piece that Washington Spirit wants, yes. and I think right. it's reflected and, in her and being honestly, there. And yeah. honestly, like, that's a team that the, the, the Spirit can build around mm-hmm. for a very long time. Right. Like, that's your your franchise player, essentially. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, not the flashiest name, but, like, I think Andy Sullivan almost has the same kind of potential Sam Mewis mm-hmm. had at that point in her career of you can see what she brings to a midfield. Yeah. And to willingly hand that to another team would be extremely dumb. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it, it does not shock me that she is kind of back in the mix in terms of U.S. national team because I do think that she offers especially depth at this yeah. point, but I think that they're looking long-term of saying, okay, how do we get her 
bigger experience so yeah. that way we can trust her if you know she does maybe make the olympics but also looking at 2023 and say so this is yeah this is my question um so we had kate margraf um mm-hmm. sitting in your chair um a couple of days kate ago. and i are exactly the same so S- same level of power yeah. right? kind of right <laughs> a little bit a little yeah. bit meg's like secretly influential right? um so uh, i don't think it's secret but yes, uh, yeah yes. kate margraf was talking about one of the things with vlatko is that you know his job is to have success now but also like transition from the 2019 roster to build for mm-hmm. the future and to me I might be overreading this but like because Andy Sullivan's one of the the newish inclusions right. how she gets treated in terms of minutes and how she performs if she can break into this midfield is a really good I don't know if litmus test or maybe yardstick is the better mm-hmm. phrase it's a yardstick for how possible or how easy it's going to be to make that transition right. and still win games right. and, Which, I think, and I guess my question is do you see Andy Sullivan playing a lot in Olympic qualifying I think Olympic qualifying especially I mean maybe outside of the game that really matters which is not actually the final it's the one before it but the group stage games especially give you a chance to put players in a meaningful game against maybe not like looking at the the landscape of CONCACAF right not on the same level as the U.S. national team but it is still a meaningful game where the decisions have to be made and they have to be successful yep as Kate Mulgrave said she's seen Canada not qualify right 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 so it's possible that it goes wrong granted this wasn't Olympics but I mean you look at the 2011 qualifying for the U.S. national team for the World Cup but that was not a successful venture they had to go to the playoff game right because of Mexico so there is weight to the like. This is not a done deal, and I I don't I think Kate especially like everyone keeps saying like we have to qualify. Mm-hmm. Everyone is overlooking this step. There is still a qualification tournament, and it is important. I'm convinced by this. So what a month ago, you and I were talking. I'm going to put the blame on me here, saying almost saying like oh we don't know like how close we're going to watch these games. We're just going to beat Panama. We're going to beat Haiti. It's going to yeah. be fine. And uh, talking to you, talking to Kate Margraf, I'm now sort of like oh right. I yeah. need to watch this and pay more attention and yeah. like be a bit more, not fearful, but a bit more like. Uh, Lori, uh, Lori Lindsay, and uh, Jordan Angeli, same, same points. It was yeah. like, no, we don't take anything for granted. Like we right. got to get there, we got to win games. It, it cannot happen. It can slip up. And right. yeah, oh yeah. And, and Kate was talking about Canada, right? When Canada didn't qualify, yeah. and watching the players cry. I mean, like I don't want that to happen to us <laughs> ever. Right, right. So there, there is no like we're looking at July right now. Mm-hmm. They are looking at the end of this month. And that is still a job that needs to be done. But I think it also does present them an opportunity to put someone like Andy Sullivan in and get that player a taste of this is a game that matters, right? And there is a way to it. But I think the interesting thing with a player like Sullivan, too, is Flacco coming in from the NWSL environment and having a much closer eye on what the performances are, on how those training environments can then relate to U.S. national team. I just think that it's not that Jill didn't pay attention to NWSL because I have stumbled into her at multiple NWSL games. And, I mean, Jessica McDonald is really on this national team because of her performance in the final in Portland where Mm -hmm. she just basically went to town, right? Like, there are are success stories in terms of NWSL react, like, ending up in in the U.S. national team call-up, but... I think that Vlaco being in the NWSL for so long, he has a different relationship to it. And I think players like Andy Sullivan are directly benefiting from wh- that relationship. Where would she fit into that midfield positionally? Like deepest midfielder? Like what number I'm, eight midfielder? Like yeah. where do you see her? I mean, potentially the six, but also I think they're a little more fluid in a way that. I mean, obviously, you know where Julie Ertz is going to be, but Julie Ertz can also get more forward. Like Andy Sullivan kind of has those same 
capabilities where she can do a lot of things. I mean, you look at Sam Mewis, too, and Sam Mewis can fit mm -hmm. into multiple roles within the midfield, and I think that they like having those options. Okay. So, whereas I think Haran really is more of a pure eight for the team, right? I think that she has more of a defined role. I think Rose obviously has a more mm -hmm. defined role, but can, you know, like she'll cover for other players. But, I mean, you look at what Sam Mewis does in, that, in terms of that versatility, and I think that's probably the mold that they're going to want to say, like, let's put you on this track and, and see what, what works and what doesn't. Rose Lavelle's role in that squad is to be the personification of excellence, by the way. Yeah. Um, the two center backs, uh, Sauber and Dahlkemper, uh, as far as I saw, <laughs> I don't have the roster right in front of me, but I believe those are like the only two natural center backs. So if one of them were to go down, of the, I'm assuming some of the center midfielders you just mentioned, I'm guessing one of them would probably deputize. It I is bet. Still probably I, would still, okay. I would still bank on Ertz. That makes sense. And, okay. Emily and Sonnet, maybe? Could Emily Sonnet has played in, in a center back role. So, I mean, there is the right, potential right. for that. Mm -hmm. And I think of... This list of Dahlkemper, Dunn, Krieger, O'Hara. I mean, Krieger could also, I think, conceivably slot mm -hmm. in more centrally. But I think Sonnet is probably the more likely pick of the pure defender list. And then Julie Ertz is really the one where, like, obviously she has experience at both. Yeah. And also when they go to a five-back, she clearly is the one that slots right. down yeah. in that middle role. So they do still have that versatility. And also Ertz still gives them that versatility to if they slot her into a center back role they can change the midfield personnel he's got a lot of moving pieces to work with <laughs> so. is there any chance that we see um correct me if i'm wrong please but with north carolina courage i feel like we see lynn williams and jessica mcdonald as more of like a front two mm -hmm. do you think there's any chance we'll see that with this national team knowing that it, it tends to be more of like a 4-3-3 sort of yeah. situation i mean he has said like he's a little more open to mm -hmm. different formations and obviously I think if you needed something late in the game and you wanted to test out Lynn Williams and Jessica McDonald as a front two, I, I don't think there's any harm in it. Obviously, they have great chemistry on the North Carolina side, and you know exactly what you're getting. He's had to he's had to play against it. I've heard they're good many North many times. Team, yeah. Sure. yeah, just like you know, <laughs> like Courage are decent team. <laughs> they get results. Um, they outscore everyone by a million goals. So yeah, I think that there is. That's why I like having a better relationship between NWSL and the U.S. national team mm -hmm. because you can pluck elements that work well together and put them in a national team environment and see what happens with them. And I think the same thing goes, I think one of the benefits of Sky Blue picking up Mallory Pugh is Mallory Pugh has been on a, the essentially like the B forward line with Carly Lloyd through that entire World Cup process. Like in training, it was oh, wow. Press, Lloyd, yeah. Pugh playing in training sessions against Morgan Rapino Heath. They have been building chemistry for a year plus as a forward line in training sessions. Mm -hmm. Now Sky Blue gets to pull that into a National Women's League setting. How is that not a win for them? And for Mallory Pugh. Yeah. Because now she's got Carly Lloyd to partner and score some goals with. Right. I feel like that'll work out okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, Meg, we want to be respectful of your time, uh, but I also want to ask you a really tough question okay. to close. Um, this is a question we've had from listeners, mm -hmm. Taylor, and I just don't know the answer to it. Why are Olympic rosters so small? Why aren't Olympic rosters just 23 players? I think that is probably just, like, the joy of IOC and FIFA having to run something together. <laughs> like, I honestly do not know the history yeah. of it, but it is... 
Yeah, the, the that was general, our answer as well. Yeah, the general <laughs> angst of the 23 to 18 is always, and I think in 2015 to 2016, there was the benefit of we had like this whole wave of retirements. So there was never a huge amount of like angst the way that we're having in this particular flip from 2019 to 2020. So I, I think that the one player who kind of fell on the outside in the last cycle was Heather O'Reilly because that's where she dropped from primary roster to alternate. Yeah. And then that was when, I mean, she retired from the international game in 2016, so I think that was kind of mm-hmm. the phasing out of Heather O'Reilly. But this is really going to be an interesting one to watch just in terms of, you know, I don't think Allie Long is going to be giving up on the Olympic roster by any stretch of the imagination, but that's where I think we start to see players slowly get phased out. And then, I mean, as soon as 2020 is done, you're also, okay, immediately your attention shifts to 2023 Mm -hmm. and how do those players fit into that vision as well so it is like olympics are a very strange transition time where they're still fundamentally part of that same cycle but the roster cuts do i think not always indicate where the team is going but i think are a piece of it that's interesting so to think of it as not necessarily the start of a fresh cycle, but like this weird like end of a cycle, yeah, start it's of really, cycle. I mean, it's both, you know, Jill Ellis is really fond of the, the metaphor about... If it was about, a washing machine, it would not have a proper button <laughs> for the cycle. Mr. <laughs> Daryl is doing a twisty thing with his hand that I'm really enjoying. That's how my machine works. <laughs> yeah, 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 right on, yeah. yeah. But Jill Ellis is fond of this metaphor about the peak and trough of a wave and how they they flow into each other and I think that's kind of where the Olympics fall into where you're sure you're in kind of like the trough of a wave at the start of a new cycle but you're also coming out of the peak of the wave so yeah. it you're you're both already looking ahead to 2023 but you're still working with 2019 as your base platform of the foundation of this team and that that's why sense. you know when Vlaco got hired everybody's like well he's getting handed the 2019 team like he's mm-hmm. gonna be fine but obviously, he's got a lot more moving pieces to consider than just, I need to come win the Olympics with the roster that I got handed, which is why I think we're starting to see, okay, Lynn Williams is coming in, like Casey Short is being evaluated. There, There is going to be player movement, and that's that's a part of the cycle. Daryl, I'm, I'm surprised that you thought that was the hard question, because I feel like the obvious hard question that no one is asking is, does Carly Lloyd think she should be a starter? And I'm wondering <laughs> if there's any way you could find out the answer to that. I don't know if she's been asked that. I've never heard her talk she's, about it. She's never been asked that question in her life. <laughs> Please don't ask her that. <laughs> that. It literally happened like an hour ago. You should now ask her. Taylor Rockwell of the Total Cycle Show. Oh, no, because then I get it by association. Exactly, no, yeah. don't ask it. Don't ask it. Now the athletic gets dragged oh, into yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we got uh-oh. We got people to consider now. Cool with George. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I then, then don't, then don't, you don't feel like you have to ask that. Never mind. I'll back it off. I'll back it off. But, Meg, thank you so much for yep. taking all the time. I know it's been an incredibly uh, busy couple of days for you, but, so we really appreciate you sitting down with us. I'm doing Daryl's hosting job now. I apologize. Daryl, you want to... Oh, you knew that? You were nearly at the end? I know I was. Oh, I know. I will say, Meg, thank you uh, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, as always.